Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for joining me for Real Talk NFT. As you know, I'm your host, Brian. We have a really special guest for you today, Anthony Georgiotis, who's the co-founder of the Pastel Network. Uh, the Pastel Network is a really cool project. Really excited to talk to him about it. It's a fully decentralized, uh, developer-friendly layer one blockchain. They're doing some big things in Web3, so just really happy to have Anthony on. Anthony, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Pleasure did, to be did here. I, did I get your last name on that take? Give it yep. to me. Yep. Okay. We don't have to edit it out, everyone. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So give us, uh, give us a little bit of background about you and Web3, your experience. Uh, you know, excited to learn a little about, about you as a person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm one of the co-founders of Pastel Network. And, you know, as you kind of alluded to, uh, Pastel Network is a fully decentralized layer one blockchain. Um, and we basically power infrastructure. It could be things like NFT copyright protection, permanent data storage, distributed storage, authentication, security, a variety of different infrastructure tools. And we power this infrastructure for the broader Web3 ecosystem. A lot of use cases within the NFT world, a lot of use cases within the broader Web3 world, DeFi applications, gaming, you name it. Mm -hmm. So our network serves as really an isolated application-specific chain. We integrate with other large, well-known blockchains, general purpose layer ones, layer two scaling solutions, and directly with dApps and applications as well. And we enable these networks to really leverage our services. So if you're an NFT marketplace on, let's say, Ethereum, and you need somewhere to host and store that data securely, you can store that on Pastel. If you need to be able to actually look at an NFT and authenticate it as being an original, we have a specific deep learning based technology that actually assesses the relative rareness of underlying metadata. Is this a duplicate? Is this existing somewhere else? Is this infringing on some sort of copyright? Whatever it might be. These are the tools that we power for the ecosystem. And we do it all in a completely decentralized, distributed way to really embody and fit in with the ethos of what we view as being a completely interoperable Web3 future. So how'd you get involved? Like, how'd you, like, how'd you get involved with Pastel? Like, what attracted you to, uh, you know, I was going through the website quite a bit, and it seems like there's a lot of use cases that we'll probably talk about more during the podcast. And we were talking even before, I was like, this seems like a no-brainer for some, for some companies to integrate. But how'd you even get involved with the uh, Pastel? Yes. Yeah, so some background on myself. Um, I'm a general partner at Innovating Capital. Uh, we are a technology asset manager. Um, that focuses, you know, I focus on Web3, on crypto, on digital assets. Uh, we've been in, you know, involved in the industry since, you know, the pre-ICO boom in 2017. Um, we have a pretty unique aspect with regards to the Web3 thesis of the portfolio. We're super involved in the projects that we engage with, you know, so whether it's, you know, layer one, like injective protocol, where we're running validator nodes in-house, um, we're one of the key market makers for some of the injective applications like Helix and things like that. So we get really hands-on with the protocols and networks that we're involved with. Um, and we take really a thesis-driven approach to looking for investments and then becoming really network stewards in those ecosystems as well. And so Pastel was really born um, you know, several years ago 
when we had kind of developed a thesis around what we saw as the future of the Web3 ecosystem, the necessity to have obviously general purpose layer one blockchains like Solana, like Ethereum, but also the importance of application specific blockchains to really service a lot of the gaps and shortcomings of general purpose L1s. Obviously, if you're building on Solana, there is a storage limit in terms of how much data can be stored on chain per block. Um, Obviously, there's underlying infrastructure limitations in terms of the certain types of tools that can actually be run there. Uh, You have obviously a lot of centralized solutions, but not a lot of decentralized solutions. So one of the key theses that we had developed was the need for application-specific infrastructure developed via a decentralized L1. Um, you know, I had got to know who's you know now the CEO of Pastel, who shared a very much so similar vision um, about what the future looks like. And you know, Pastel was really born out of you know quasi incubation from Innovating Capital um, to really come into the industry and be one of the you know predominant Web three infrastructure players in the space, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw you had some recent announcements, like your, uh, am I saying it correctly, Monet 2.0 main that launch? Did I, yeah. did I get it right? Yeah, yeah. Monet, Monet 2.0. Monet. Monet. Yeah, I should have known that. That's a that's an obvious one. Monet 2.0. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was reading up on it a little bit, and it seemed really intriguing. I saw that, like, your sense, your near-duplicate NFT protection protocol, and even Cascade, kind of like the integration for like your storage layers. You mind touching base on those announcements and how they apply to uh, Pastel? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Monet, this release is, it's really important. Um, And actually the release itself went live and it's going to be fully activated in just under a thousand or so blocks should be yeah November fifth oh, so a couple of days nice. here, it's going to be ac- activated at block five hundred seventy five thousand, um, and I'd say that this is by far the biggest release that we've done to date ever. Um, we're super pumped about it. So let me just kind of give you some context and um, and background on the network itself. That's yeah. pretty interesting. It's a as I mentioned fully decentralized layer one blockchain. Um, it is powered by a series of validators called, you know, we call them supernodes. Um, they're very similar to Ethereum validators in the sense that they require users to self-stake 5 million PSL. But they're a little bit different in the fact that they have very high com- computational requirements uh, in terms of how much, how many cores you need to run, how much RAM it requires, and how much obviously SSDs need to power it because they're doing so many different services that power the blockchain. They're running Sense, which is our near-duplicate NFT detection protocol. You know, that's obviously running very high computationally intensive models uh, to really assess the relative rareness of metadata, uh, videos, pictures, whatever it might be. We have a rare on the internet feature, right, which actually looks at, and imagine you basically are registering an NFT and it's almost doing like a reverse image search on the internet itself. You can envision just how complex and you know computationally intensive that will be. Um, likewise, we have our underlying data storage protocol called Cascade, which is very unique. And you obviously mentioned the need for things like this across ecosystems like OpenSea or whatever it might be. Yeah, um, Cascade is amazing because Cascade, from my perspective, is one of the most 
powerful aspects of this blockchain. Anytime a user sends a request to register data on the Pastel network, we take that data and in simple terms, imagine that we take a piece of data, we copy it a bunch of different times, then we take all those copies and we cut them up into a bunch of different pieces and then randomly distribute them across the validators that are running the blockchain. And those, those are your super nodes that mm-hmm. you call them? Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, just making sure. Exactly. I wanted to make sure I was following there. Cool. Exactly. So what's unique about Cascade versus other decentralized storage systems like IPFS or Arweave is that Cascade itself, it has redundancy, not just in the sense of being able to access and retrieve data, but in terms of how that data is stored. So just take IPFS, for example. IPFS is obviously completely distributed. It's completely trustless, right? Anybody can run an IPFS peer, right? Anyone in the world, it's completely open. Anybody can request to have a file stored on IPFS. And effectively what happens is an IPFS peer will pick up that file. It'll host that file on its peer. It'll issue a CID and a content identifier. And anybody that's running IPFS can retrieve that. When you retrieve a file on IPFS, you're recursively looking for the peer that is hosting that, right? So it's great. It's open, decentralized, distributed. The issue is there's no mechanism in IPFS that ensures that that data is always going to be hosted and always guaranteed to be stored on any given peer. So we've seen even recently with some of the NFTs that have become less popular through kind of this kind of boom and bust phase that we're in right now, where it could take several hours to literally recursively iterate through every single peer, looking for a peer that's saying they're hosting this metadata or this file. And a lot of times the CIDs aren't even pinned anymore. So while it's distributed, it's not necessarily fully permanent or redundant. And that's kind of the inherent issue. And that's one of the biggest things that we've set to really solve upon, ensuring that the entire validator set, they're not just hosting random files, they're hosting random partitions or chunks of every single file so that even if you know 75 80% of the validators went down on the network you could still retrieve the full file from the remaining active set of validators on the network itself and that's what's really important with cascade itself so in monet 2.0 <clears throat> this new duplicate nft detection system comes live on mainnet cascade fully live and activated on mainnet Plus, we've added a lot of other kind of governance and, and key aspects to the system, something called storage challenges, right? Storage challenges are really our intrinsic proof of storage. Every yeah. single block, take a random set of validators, they check another random set of validators and say, are you storing the pieces of data for every file that you're supposed to be? If you're not, they get slashed, right? They are penalized, they're not getting protocol rewards, they might get jailed, et cetera. So we've really rolled out a ton of core functionality for these protocols, as well as enhancements and underlying governance to ensure really a well-functioning system. And that's what's so exciting about it. Um, now, the last thing I'd say too, just to really touch on it, because it's really important to understand, if you think about the business model of Pastel Network and really other layer one blockchains or layer two solutions, is very 
similar, tangential to a API-based Web2 business model, right? Somebody sends a request to store data on Pastel and they pay per request, right? In terms of how much data is getting stored, the request call, whatever it might be, and they're charged on the underlying PSL token. <clears throat> and they could do this in a completely decentralized way, right? They could effectively run a full Supernode client um, within their own validator set, um, or they could do it in kind of a bridged way where they basically have an API key or token that effectively makes these calls for them directly. Not to get you know too comp- complex in that aspect of it, what's super exciting is we released something called the gateway. Um, and you can almost think about gateway as like Infura for Ethereum or Pinata or something like that. Gotcha. And gateway is a completely kind of centralized hosted system that's run by the Pastel Foundation that allows us to easily grant and issue API key credentials to new parties that are looking to integrate with our infrastructure. They could be Web2 players. They could be NFT marketplaces. They could be Layer 1 protocols, whatever it might be. Uh, we effectively are able to issue them credentials as well as you know potentially API credits to their overall key itself, you know, X amount of PSL to allow for a year of requests or whatever it might be. And we do this in such a way to really make it a lot more frictionless and streamline some of the onboarding processes. Because our whole objective, you know, right now today is how do we maximize overall transaction growth and transaction volume, which will then drive protocol revenue, as well as the underlying deflationary mechanic of Pastel, will be kind of the next thing I touch on briefly. Um, within Pastel, which is amazing, is as part of this upgrade, we also included a massive modification to how PSL fees are transacted. Today, if you're running a validator, you obviously earn block rewards. Every block, you <clears throat> have the ability to earn a piece of the block reward for validating, but you also earn transaction fees for facilitating these transaction requests cascade, sense request, whatever it might be. Anytime a request is made, part of the fees are sent to supernodes for actually doing the work. Part of it is burnt. So we've included a burning mechanism in our overall token model that's activated at this activation height, which will ensure that there's a consistent deflationary mechanism. So the more that transactions accrue on the network, obviously the more quote unquote, dividends are accrued to supernodes through protocol rewards and things like that. But the more PSL that's taken out of the network itself, an intrinsic deflationary mechanism, I think that's really important for the long-term token economic aspect of the system as well. Yeah, I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir. Anything deflationary I'm into, you know, burning of tokens, limiting supply, <laughs> it feels like that's a unique thing that we can do with crypto and digital assets overall and makes things more rare if you want to call it that way you know or or more and then hopefully hand in hand more valuable so that's really cool that you've implemented that into the system and just just to peel back a little bit so i want to make sure that i'm understanding everything correctly so cascade is um is your decentralized storage layer and it kind of like breaks everything shares different fragments between super nodes and they almost Am I getting this right or is it a sense where they do the self-check within each other? I'm getting Cascade. a little confused. That's Kate. Cascade. Okay. And they do like a self-check, making sure that they have the correct information. 
at all times. If they don't, you said they get maybe pushed out of the poll or eliminated, whatever the protocol is there. Why is this? And again, this might be a stupid question, but that's what I'm here for. I ask the stupid questions to make it easy for everyone. <laughs> What's the difference between what you're building in like just traditional cloud storage we hear and everyone talks about, like on the data set side? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in traditional cloud storage, right, it's very easy to, I mean, anything that is happening in Web3, in theory, is done more efficiently and better at scale in web two, right? No one's going to argue that. And if they do, you know, they might be somewhat delusional, right? Um, (laughs) You're always going to be able to transact in financial products with less friction, less execution risks, et cetera. You're not going to be paying exorbitant gas fees in the world of web two. It's going to be cheaper to store data. It's going to be cheaper to transact. Web three isn't necessarily trying to solve upon those particular problems. They're trying to take certain applications and ensure that on a globalized scale, right, while we can transact on, you know, Charles Schwab or JP Morgan here today in the U.S. with very little friction, there's limited access and there's limited entry points to a lot of these services to the rest of the world. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult I mean, even in the U.S., right? Think about how many people are able to actually trade stocks freely, right? Yeah. The world of DeFi is so powerful. Um, you know, I, I love to use kind of the analogy of um, of futures or even kind of forwards, right? If if I'm like, you know, let's say a, a farmer, right? And I'm you know, basically selling oranges in Florida, right? <clears throat> let's say I have a, I have a small family-owned farm. And I think that the price of oranges is going to fall completely. Um, but I have a massive you know, harvest right now. And I know that I have a massive harvest of oranges coming. How do I lock in to the current price of oranges right today? Um, some sort of kind of float to fixed rate contract. Um, likewise, I could want to speculate on the other side and say, hmm, I actually believe that you know, it makes sense to sell some sort of contract on a fixed floating rate term. So the point is, if I'm that farmer, I'd have to call up Wells Fargo, Deutsche Bank, UBS, you know, one of the top um, commodities derivatives provider. And they'll say, no, they'll quote me a minimum of 10 million of notional value, which obviously I don't have, right? In the world of Web3, all of a sudden now, I can go on to the Ethereum ecosystem, onto some sort of DeFi application. And I can leverage smart contracts where if my notional value is a dollar or $10 or 50 or whatever, millions of farmers can pull together automatically, seamlessly, without even thinking about it and transact with the counterparty on the other side for whatever notional value they want, right? So small things like Very this, cool. yeah. where it's just, it opens up the accessibility. So yeah, maybe I'm paying a, a higher gas fee than I would have if I transacted with Wells Fargo, but at the end of the day, I couldn't have transacted at all. Um, yeah. the similar is, you know, the similar can be said Great for other, other aspects of the ecosystem. You know, when it comes to data storage, the problem is in the world of Web3, you know, you have this concept of trustlessness, right? There's no trust involved. Trust is not a factor. You don't even think about it, which is kind of interesting, you know, to really rationalize. When you're buying an NFT and that NFT, you're buying, a, I don't know, a board ape, 
and you buy the underlying token ID for a smart contract that was deployed on Ethereum, but the underlying token ID references a photo that's stored off chain somewhere. If that data is stored on a centralized database and the creator decides to stop paying the fee or wants to change what's hosted there, whatever it might be, you've re-entered and you've really effectively broken the underlying primitives that underpin the Web3 ecosystem itself. So there needs to be solution points for things like data storage, for data security, for authentication that can be hosted in a completely trustless and decentralized fashion, which is you know, why it's important to have services and features like Cascade and like Sense that are really built the way they are. So that if I do buy that board ape and if it's stored on another L1 that's completely permissionless and decentralized, I know it's always going to be there. Cryptographically proven, it's always going to be there. The network's yeah. always going to host it and store it. Sure, I can have a backup on AWS if I want, but I know that the way that Pasto works, the way that the underlying blockchain works, that data will be there forever. It'll never be lost. And again, I've removed the concept of trust from the underlying equation itself. So talk to me about uh, the Joe Rogan, Elon Musk interview. Did you hear that at all just recently? It was like on Halloween when uh, basically Elon was uh, uh, all NFT is, is a uh, URL pointing to a JPEG. Did you see oh. that at all? Oh, I mean, what, <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, he's not, uh, he's not, he's not wrong. wrong. Well, yeah. Exactly. Right. That's, that's a huge, for certain, for, cer- for certain yeah. collections and chains. I just want to call that out because I don't want the Bitcoin ordinal people coming, pounding down my door. You can certainly, uh, have on-chain Ethereum items, everybody, but again, didn't mean to cut you off, but it seems like he wasn't wrong. Well, listen, right. It's, he's not wrong. But again, it's where that actual token URI is is referencing, right? And most of the large-scale NFT projects that you know, right? Board Apes, CryptoPunks, you know, they have the data that's stored on IPFS. They're not just throwing it on an AWS server, right? Yeah. Um, and it's similar with respect to to Cascade. You know, I, I mentioned why I thought there were some inherent flaws with IPFS and and why we're, you know, potentially more competitive. With respect to IPFS, I do think that you know IPFS and Cascade definitely work together. IPFS could be like more of a hot storage solution. I want quick retrieval, but I want a cold backup of that data that I know is always going to be there. Always there. So the point is, what Elon's mentioning is is certainly a shortcoming of the system, which is exactly what we're looking to solve. And yeah, sure, all that's all an NFT is today but that's not what it's going to be. And there's so many different use cases and <clears throat> underlying applications for NFTs. I mean, when I first was looking at NFTs, profile pictures were the last thing that people thought ERC721 was really going to be. Um, this yeah. is coming, this is really born more out of like the STO craze, right? Securitization of, of specific tokens and things like that. You know, how could we actually have slow moving, immutable type data that's represented by a token? That doesn't necessarily need to have crazy high transaction velocity. Um, so there was a lot more with regards to financial products, legal products, things like that. And we're starting to see those use cases emerge. So, you know, I agree to an extent. And I think that the exact shortcoming and, and problem he pointed out is exactly what we're looking to solve. Yeah. I literally, whenever I was 
I knew this interview was coming up and just so happens I caught that clip with Elon and Joe because it was like running rampant on uh, crypto Twitter. I was like, this feels like it just goes hand in hand with with our talk with Anthony. <laughs> so um, interesting how that works out. And, um, I de- you know, my personal opinion of it is if the market wants things more on chain and you're doing something right now for several solutions, the market will develop the technology will develop and that's like not it doesn't it's not so much of a shortcoming in my eyes like for some projects that's a that's a good point to bring up and i'm glad you brought that up and made people aware but i was like i i don't think it's going to affect the future too much and then also there's a lot of things that like why nfts are important you know just from being able to claim the digital identity or claim the digital asset you know and and you know it wasn't even really brought up to always be on chain but moving forward i think that's probably the world we're going to move into and it makes the most sense um talk to me a little bit about uh how cascade can integrate into like current like nft like standards and blockchain ecosystems is it pretty e- I know you're talking about APIs but is it pretty easy for partnerships and collabs to just integrate with your platform yeah no absolutely so I mean listen there's the world of interoperability is obviously the that's the end game right that's the end goal here and everyone's looking to figure out how to achieve you know pure interoperability in a completely trustless fashion you know we've seen a lot of cross-chain token swaps cross-chain bridges things like that and there's been a lot of fatal flaws um, in the setups. Um, and largely, it has nothing to do with the core blockchain. It has nothing to do with the core ecosystem or the core protocol. Um, it has everything to do with effectively a centralized bridge that's interacting between the two, that's susceptible to theft, hack, hacks, fraud, things like that. Um, you know, what we're focused on right now is, you know, in tandem, a combination of both getting some of these ecosystems up and running as soon as possible um, to really start to activate and transact on the pastel network, you know, via this gateway that I mentioned, yeah. acts kind of like, you know, again, in Fura, while we continue to work on refining how we really integrate in a pure interoperable fashion. So for example, in the Polkadot ecosystem, one thing that we're really looking into is the validator set of, you know, super nodes on pastel now could intrinsically host a parachain, right? And so now validators themselves on Pastel Network are running an entire Pastel Network parachain. So they understand the full state of transactions across both networks at any point in time. And, you know, that's that's extremely powerful. Um, there's a lot of obviously, you know, technical and fundamental bar- barriers to achieving that. But that's how I really kind of think across, you know, the two aspects of the system <clears throat> independently. How do you see it? Like, how do you see Cascade like impacting the broader like NFT marketplaces in the macro industry overall? Mm-hmm. You know, I think what's going to happen over time is that there's going to be a lot more credence that drives how things are minted or registered or, or whatnot, right? Right now, you don't really necessarily think about it. You didn't necessarily really think about it in the NFT boom. It was kind of a, a byproduct. It was the last thing yeah. you thought about. Where is this data stored? I don't know. I just need a mint, yeah. right? I need, to get, I need to get this mint of this new collection. You know, Moonbirds is coming out. I need it, whatever, right? Um, yeah. And it was the, the last thing on your mind. 
moving forward, when, after, when a lot of that kind of craze falls and NFTs really start to serve as what they were supposed to be, slow moving, immutable objects with large amounts of data integrity tied to them, then you start to really leverage and, and look at that data storage and redundancy as one of the top priorities in terms of how you assess value, how you assess some of the potential security constraints, um, some of the underlying requirements for even looking to invest or acquire a specific token standard, right? So it's one of those things that, you know, in the Web 2 world, data storage feels like a commodity. If things are right in the Web 3 world, everyone will be using, you know, Cascade and no one will say what Cascade is. It's just commoditized piece of data storage. You're using IPFS for hot, you're using Cascade for cold, you're using this or that or whatever it might be. Um, and I don't think we're far from that. And there's been a lot more interest and demand for this type of tooling in the last six to 12 months than there was in the you know height of 2020, 2021, um, as well as it's now being driven across new types of, of use cases. Uh, DEXs, for example, um, you know, we're talking with Solana about an archive node solution, right? Where effectively, you know, they need to have an archive of all data on Solana at every, you know, single block, right? Where they send Cascade a snapshot of all the data that occurred from, you know, block X to block X plus 10, every 10 blocks, boom, boom, boom. Um, and so these are things that are really important. And as we really start to gear up and these applications become far more prevalent in mainstream use cases, data storage is going to be a driving factor for it all. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's it's essentially just pretty much telling me the safest way, cold storage, you can save some of this data for, for the Solanas of the world. Uh, I think I brought up before the call, I was like, when's OpenSea getting on this? It seems only natural that they need to implement this. Or am I just coming out of left field? No, you're it's, totally right. They they need to nail this down, OpenSea. <laughs> you're totally right. Uh, I guess uh, one more question I have for you about Cascade. And I'm just, and you touched on a little bit about like the self-checking systems, but what overall like security protocols? I mean, you're getting some like high level data, but it's all being fragmented, it sounds like, and checking. If I'm understanding this correctly, is that like, is that enough to like keep any potential threats away from, you know, any hackers or anybody trying to infiltrate your system there? First of what I would say to the audience is definitely go to Passel Network. You can go to technical papers. We have a full yellow paper on Cascade that details at the most technical complexity how the system works and operates. Every aspect of the system has been you know, thought out to really think through what you mentioned, right? We use a special type of LT encoding algorithm that you know figures out the right way to take this data and, and chop it up into chunks. How we actually use a redundancy factor to copy those chunks, how we effectively you know, take the hash of each of those chunks and, and seed it into the blockchain itself. So it would there's also a privacy preserving functionality in Cascade in terms of you know how a user could say that I want this data to be stored and only this person with a key can retrieve it, but don't need to you know touch on that. But at the end of the day, the system itself is entirely robust from a security functionality. Um, you know, again, if there was a 51% hack or a two-thirds, really a 66% attack <clears throat> would be required to 
reverse and roll back the chain and change, you know, the hashes of each of these partitions. Uh, but, you know, to where the system is today, we're very robust against those potential shortfalls. Very nice. Well, it seems almost like a no-brainer to me for, you know, everything that's been being talked about over just the past few weeks, past few months. It seems like just seems like there would be a natural transition, especially Cascade. Can we touch base on Sense one more time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sense yeah. is the new duplicate NFT detection protocol. We take basically an NFT. Uh, we take any sort of data. Imagine it like this. We use a very robust deep learning algorithm. You know, we've been using AI for a while. We're not, we're not an AI company, but AI has been a huge part of what we do, right? We transform using basically this combinational neural network of sorts, any specific object into a fingerprint. Uh, a fingerprint can be represented by a multi-dimensional array of, of numbers. So take an abstract file, take a video, whatever it is, we use these models to transform it into a fingerprint. That fingerprint then, basically, we use statistical techniques to assess how similar or dissimilar two fingerprints are to another. So we can assign what's the likelihood that this is a duplicate and how hmm. much similar is it to a duplicate. What's crazy too is what we've been doing, not part of Monet 2.0, but just you know, in terms of the roadmap of Pastel itself is... Um, We've been taking the models we've created and we've been retraining them on AI models. And so I just told you that, you know, we could look at two photos side by side and say, this is how similar or dissimilar it is. And it's yeah. completely robust to transformations. So if you gave me a photo, right, um, and I made a bunch of invisible changes, or if I morphed two photos together, right, this system would be able to look at it at really kind of the pixel level and say, hey, this is a 50% similar copy to this other photo. Whereas That's other cool. systems that exist today just take what's called the perceptual hash and say, yeah, this is a duplicate. No, it's not. But those systems aren't robust to these types of transformations, right? We're really doing something that's very deep and intrinsic to the underlying data itself. Moving forward, what I was getting at is we've been retraining these data models on AI models themselves. So we'll also be able to discern whether or not this specific data was generated by AI or not. And actually, more specifically, Whoa, in some cases, that's what cool. AI model it was. And this that's is also cool. extremely important. And this is one of those things, too, where there might be a lot of Web2 applications for this type of software itself. But if it's not being run on a decentralized, trustless system, how much credence are you going to give to the underlying exactly. output that it gives you. Uh, and so that's one of the most exciting use cases that I, I'm, I'm really you know, pumped about in the coming months is just working through this. And I'd say it's maybe 85, 90% the way there. It's never going to be 100%. There's always going to be some sort of noise or error. Like there is if you use ChatGPT today. Um, but, you know, we're excited when we get to the point where there's, you know, less than 1% noise in the system itself. Where we feel like it's ready for production at scale. I love it. That seems cool because AI, AI art, you know, we can go on for a 40 minute podcast about like where that even falls in the world. Is it authentic? Is it not authentic? Uh, I have feelings on both sides, but being able to at least have a system to decipher and 
understand that is cool. And I love how you gave it like a, you call it like a fingerprint. So that just seems to resonate with me on how you could, uh, you know, identify some of these um, issues, I should say. Um, any partnerships? Or I know you said Sense is like 85% up. Any partnerships you're working with on either Sense or Cascade that, you know, you would love to mention? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned a couple of the RFPs that I alluded to that we're working on right now. Um, we have actually, we're launching something with Sensei Node in uh, South America that'll be doing a lot of staking for Superdodes. That'll actually be announced in the next week or so. Cool. Uh, we have a couple big L1. I mean, we, we have partnerships today with Polygon, Avalanche. Um, <clears throat> and so we'll be really putting live a ton of those marketplaces and, and applications that are already embedded in those underlying partnerships that we have with them. Um, and then we have a few big L1s and, and a few big L2s in the works right now. Awesome. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like the most technical guy, but everything that you're telling me makes a ton of sense. And I'm going to get off this podcast and keep scratching my head why like major marketplaces aren't absolutely using, especially Cascade in my eyes. It just seems, it just seems like it makes so much sense. Um, no pun intended. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. It's one of those things. I think that Gateway will remove a lot of those frictions in terms of utilizing it. But you know, you you know the state of the market. People are fighting to survive right now, and the last thing that they're thinking about is how to enhance their you know technological yeah. foundation when you know they're fighting for transaction volume and and user retention. Yeah. Good point. Good point. But the, the mar in my eyes, you know, I'm a Web three bull, NFT bull, crypto bull. I, I I've lived, I've survived through too many bear markets. Got wrecked a couple of times. Came back out on top. So these bear markets, I think it's great. Like meeting guys like you, companies like you. That it's cliche to say, but you're you're building. You know, you're building in a space when the time's down, when it's low. But you're really building a product that's going to enhance us for years down the line. So super excited to see, you know, how this all continues to develop. Even we would even love, I mean, with like uh, years in web theory world are like dog years. So maybe have you on, you know, sooner rather than later, get an update on some of the partnerships and some of the uh, implementations you've made. You want to give a shout out to our um, customers or our audience where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely follow us on Twitter at Pastel Network. Um, check out our website, pastel.network. You know, if you go to our website or our Twitter, you know, you'll get links, um, you know, to whether you're a developer, to our developer docs, to um, our gateway, uh, to our GitHub repos, things like that, tools for builders, tools for collaborations, things like that. If you're in the community and you want to understand what we're working on, um, you know, join our Discord. Obviously, follow us on Twitter for the latest and greatest. Um, we do have a no-code uh, minting platform called SmartMint, which we didn't really touch on, but I love SmartMint. Um, SmartMint is, you know, a centralized application that runs on all of the infrastructure powered by Pastel, you know, that we've really built in-house. So if you're a creator and you're looking to mint your NFT collection love that. and you want it to be stored on Cascade, you want Sense, you want all that cool infrastructure, but you don't want to touch it because it's very complex, no-code, drop, click, boom, you're done. Um, so that's smart mint. Um, but yeah, all this stuff is, is readily accessible and available. So definitely you know, excited to, uh, to stay in touch and go from there. Yeah. I'll make sure I put all these links down below the video for everyone to find out. 
Uh, Smart Mint sounds really cool. That seems, hey, no code, make it easy for everyone. Let's have some fun with it. So I'll absolutely put these this information down below uh, the description for the video. Anthony, thank you for joining me. Really had fun talking to you and learning all about your project. You too. Awesome, man. Talk soon. All right. Thanks.